If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I am excited. You listen all the way through the episode, or if you just want to fast forward to the end, I'm going to start posting opportunities for a practice ownership and B associateships with folks that I know around the country that are doing great things. And I'm going to do a quick read of the opportunity, have links in the show notes to those opportunities. And I hope for someone out there, it can be a great connection to find either that practice ownership dream opportunity and or a great associateship that leads to the balance, the work life that you're looking for. So with that, excited to launch that. There will be more over time as more owners start uh, reaching out, but I am excited to do that. So check that out at the end. Don't leave too fast after the guest wraps up. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. Today I'm joined by Dr. Isold or Iba Baylor, who is a practicing veterinarian whose biggest passion is photography outside of veterinary medicine and is sharing that passion within the veterinary community. We'll dig into that and so much more. But Dr. Baylor, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm super excited. So I don't know from the audience who all will know your story, but we connected on LinkedIn. I'd seen some of the work that you've done, different comments you had made, some of your work. But for those that maybe don't know kind of your story and a little bit about like the passion behind photography, I'd love for you to kind of start us off sharing that story and then we'll kind of expand on it from there. Sure. So I am a 1996 Penn grad and I stayed basically with my first job right out of vet school for 20 plus years until that practice 
was acquired by a large corporation. And I spent a good portion of my early career as an ER veterinarian working overnights, week on, week off. Then I had two kids and spent a lot of time doing the working mom thing, totally stressed out. Maybe all that took a toll on the personal relationships. So I was going through some tough times and I found myself a single mom. And we were, as a clinic, my way of giving back, because I always had a camera in my hand, was to take holiday portraits for the staff. And so we dressed the dogs and the cats up in cute outfits for Halloween and Christmas. And every year, I was just looking through the pictures a couple of days ago, the scenes got more and more elaborate. The little backdrops that I was acquiring, fake Christmas trees, wreaths, ghost outfits, all sorts of things. And then as this was going on, people started jumping in front of the camera too. Like, oh, will you take a picture of me with my dog? And I was like, oh, I, I can do the dogs, but I really can't take pictures of people. That's really hard. And then I started sort of fooling around by myself at home with who I had to take pictures of, which is me and my kids, and trying to master studio light. And I kind of, through the magic of Google, discovered this really dynamic, awesome personality of my mentor is a guy named Peter Hurley. And he runs the largest group of headshot photographers in the world. And he champions himself as the best headshot photographer in the world. He's based in New York City. And somewhere around 2012, he started doing a series of training videos, trying to make other photographers be good at taking pictures of people. And so I went down this rabbit hole of his learning platform. And I've been a member there for almost 11 years. And not wanting to like, you know, I'm super competitive. I'm a type A personality being a vet, right? I made it through vet school. I'm like, I want to be an associate in the Peter Hurley headshot crew. But that's not an easy task. And so some of the folks who are involved with the group are just naturals with the light. They just, they're like human light meters. They can just see light and they can make it bend to their will. And I was not one of those people. I was like a trial and error, do it over and over and over and over again. And the people that I had to take pictures of were my veterinary team friends. And then I'm like, hey, wait a minute. There's all these beautiful photos out there of all these other industries, dentists and financial advisors and real estate agents, but the vet men people don't have nice pictures. And so I sort of now have morphed my love for vet med people and my love for photography into taking better photos for the vet med community. And that's one of the things I love doing the most. Yeah, I will say, so we don't keep video on the podcast yet. That might change in 2023, but your lighting and your setup, this is like the one time where I'm like, I wish we did, right? Because you can tell right. just from that perspective that your setup from that standpoint is so much better than I would say the average person because you think about it more and you see it right. versus yeah. a newbie like me. I'd be like, that looks good or it doesn't, but knowing how to tweak it, super interesting. But being competitive in having that outlet outside of veterinary medicine, was photography before you were asked to really dig in? Was that always something you enjoyed when you were younger or did that come along later in life? Or I don't have a ton of memories. Like, I just am not a memory maker. I don't know. My mother remembers everything. Like, oh, do you remember in 1983, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I don't. But I remember that you told me that. But I do remember having this little like square camera and it like made discs in the pictures. I don't know what they were called. And, and you had to go away and have it all developed. 
but really I was the mamarazzi, right? I had a nice camera and I loved taking pictures of my kids. And even when my babies were little, like two and four, I had like fabric and we had the cat and we were doing like some whole little runway scene in my house with me trying to take pictures of them. Like this is a very longstanding struggle for me to master the light, to take pictures that I'm proud of. Yeah, I love that. So I went to a rural Indiana high school and their like photography dark room, the last year that it was open was my freshman year. And I went and actually learned how to develop film okay, in a dark room yeah. and like hang it was not very good at it, but I learned. And it's so funny because then it was like, yep, that's not a thing anymore. And no one really does that to that effect. So that is my one memory, but I kind of liked it. And so I kind of looked into that for a little bit, but never spent too much time. My business partner for his side hustle, when he was getting his financial firm started, he loved photography and did some wedding stuff out in California. So he has a lot of nice gear that we'll use from time to time, which is cool. But yeah, I always joke that you don't want me taking the photos. You want Josh taking the photos of team stuff. So you talked about it a little bit where so many other industries have like nice pictures. Most of the pictures, when I look at a website, so if we get a inbound inquiry from a practice owner or something, like you want to go to the website, you want to see what's going on and you see the photos and a lot of them look like they maybe took it themselves or it's what they use for Facebook. And it's just not, it's not well done. Why do you think it's never been a priority and why does it matter? I guess is the question. So if I'm sitting there listening, like, why does it matter to have nicer photos? Like, that's great. Those other industries get their photos. We don't need them. That's not what people expect in vet med. So I guess there are two layers to it. One is we have this corporatization situation going on. So more and more clinics are merging in with the larger groups. And the larger groups come in and they either have a website that they put for every one of the clinics or they have a template that they say, hey, this is what we suggest that you do. And all of those websites, because they're just, that's how websites are made, are filled with stock photography. And every vet in the world can spot a bad photograph of like somebody holding a puppy and the stethoscope is on like the top of the head and they're like, that's not real, right? But when it comes to themselves, people hate having their picture taken. Like, I meet so many people that that are coming for these days where I'm doing a large group of people and they say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want my picture taken. And when I do these sessions, images go directly to my laptop and they can see the photos as we're creating them. And then I can coach them to say, hey, if you put your chin this way and if I move my light this way, you're going to look so much better than you think you're going to look. And it's actually really not that bad. And I get a lot of folks who are very reticent in the beginning and then five or six images in, we look at them and they're like, oh, wow. And then we take a few more because they've got a little confidence under their belt. And they're like, okay, wow, that looks really good. And then they go from, oh, well, can I have a couple of these to show my husband? And oh, my kids are going to love this. Those types of experiences make me so happy because I'm taking one individual and making her day. There are a lot of folks who I meet that are maybe a little heavier than they want to be. Their skin's not as good as they wanted it to be that day. Or we all walk around with things that when we wake up, we give ourselves such a hard time in our heads about how we look or how we feel. And then that translates into what I see at the camera level. So the other part of it, and so then the dichotomy of that is that you have the people who are working so hard performing the tasks in the vet hospitals from the CSRs to the technicians and nursing staff and the doctors, they have really terrible pictures, but then they're up against the stock model pictures that 
the corporate has given them or that the template created. And then they don't feel valued or seen because they're not worth having a good, nice photograph. So that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to do this. Turnover, I guess, is another part of it. Good photography and well-crafted stuff and hiring a professional photographer is an investment. And I was talking to one of the industry leaders, someone who's out and about, and she's gives speeches all the time and runs her own company. And she's just like, well, vets are cheap. They don't want to spend money on stuff like that. And like, if you think about it, you know, what I'm charging isn't, it's industry standard for the photography world. It's less than a common foreign body surgery in the East Coast. It's not a huge investment, but what it does is it shows to the clients that the clinic and, and or the corporation values its employees. That they're willing to spend some time to make people have a photograph that they are excited to share to the world. So there's a couple different layers to why I do what I do. Yeah. In, in those moments where you're kind of working with someone, you're typically away from the rest of the group. It's that individual time with that person. Are there conversations? Are people surprised when they do get to have these oh. photos done? Like, what does that look oh, like? Oh, yeah. Oh, the conversations also make my day. Like, I did ERGP for a really long time, and I had upwards of 200 families that I had gone through multiple types of pets. I knew where their kids went to college. I remembered Fluffy, and then now we had Zebedee. And like, I knew these people. I knew them really, really well. And those connections as an ERGP vet were really, really important to me. And then, you know, I was working too hard, and life changed, and I was suffering my own little level of burnout. Like, I just was not enamored with that med anymore sometime around 2019. And so chasing this dream of being a photographer, to me, felt like a path out of that burnout to find something that brought me joy, that made me happy to go to work. Because I really didn't enjoy going to work, even though I had a great job and I was paid really well for what I was doing. I just, it wasn't what I wanted it to be anymore. And taking the photographs of vet med individuals from technicians and CSRs and new doctors and having that one-on-one conversation and just kind of connecting in sort of this quiet space, it felt to me like I was giving back to all the people that had helped me and mentored me over the years. And just last two weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, I went to a clinic to do some on-site photography. And for the people in that hospital I had worked with years ago, And you go through life, especially in a busy ER clinic, not everybody gets along, not everybody's always nice to each other. And like, I didn't know that these folks were going to be there. And I didn't really know, like when I saw them, I was like, I wonder what they think of me. Am Am I a mean person? Was I a mean person back then to them? I don't, I don't remember. And like, there were hugs and it was just this beautiful therapeutic moment where that whole purpose for me of taking someone who was having not a great day and making them see themselves as beautiful or pretty or, and I don't like those words, but a word that sort of, they felt seen. And I like to have these moments where we're talking and we're talking about life and be it young mothers or doctors who are just starting out their career, being 26 plus years into it. I've seen, been there, I've done that, I've seen it all. And I can give them just a little bit of moment where they feel a little bit of increase. Like they came in front of their camera and they walk away feeling a little bit better. And that to me makes the day great. 
when I get to do that. Yeah, I would imagine kind of the guard comes down a little bit from that standpoint when you're around and you have the question where they don't have to put on a front to yeah. someone coming in or someone else in the clinic. It's just them and you. And having your photograph taken is a very vulnerable situation. This past fall, I went to a retreat with a hundred of my best friend photographers from my photography group. And it was life-changing. It was so cool. There's all these people that we were all on different paths of our journey to mastery with the photography. And we all got together in this sort of lodge house down in Tennessee for a long weekend. And there were shooting bays where we had all the lights set up and people were coaching each other on how to get the angles right and master the lighting. And I went because I had just recently received this associate status where I'm part of this elite group of only 100 photographers in the United States that have this badge. And there's only 32 women. I was fresh off of getting that done with my portfolio. And I went with this to help others. And so I spent the three days being the model. So I stood in front of the lights and I knew the angles and moved my head this way and smiled that way. And I know my face because during the pandemic, when I didn't have anyone to photograph, I took nearly 30,000 selfies of myself. And that sounds really vain, but I was trying to master the light. Like I was trying to get there and I didn't have anyone else. So there I am pressing the button with my computer to, to take pictures of myself. So what that did is that I could go and step in the lights and I knew how to put my face and I knew how to create an expression then they could worry about their camera settings and worry about the light. And that was my mission when I went down there. And we had six photographers in this little group reach associate status that, that weekend. And it was phenomenal. The energy of being with a group of fun, like-minded people, it was phenomenal. And I was thinking about that, like when our new career veterinarians, they go to vet school and they have a hundred people that they're friends with and they all go kind of go through and then they all disperse. They all go to different jobs and they go to different places around the state or the country or the city. And maybe they get together a little bit, but maybe they don't. And they don't have a forum always to stay connected. And they're all going through similar journeys, but then they don't have an ability to connect unless they've landed in a company that's got good mentorship and somebody who's going to help them. So I hope that through all this cool Zoom technology and these meetups, like we can start having groups for people who can just like, they can discuss vet med stuff or they can discuss life. And like, my kids did this and, you know, or I went on a hike today, like whatever it is that jazzes them up, they can kind of connect on that level and not feel so kind of alone in these new clinic situations. Cause it's hard being the odd doc out as the first one. So, but when I am taking these photographs, I hear different things about, oh, well, I worked for this company and I didn't like that company and I did this. So I hear like all this stuff that some things that maybe the doctor who owns the clinic knows, maybe the company knows, maybe they don't because the wall is torn, torn down as you're being in this vulnerable space, having your photograph taken and then stuff just kind of comes out. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I think on the photography piece, just the idea of community in general and a world of ever increasing technology, right? You have all these tools, all these things, authentic, genuine relationships are actually harder sometimes to foster. Mm -hmm. And there are some good offerings, some great offerings, some cool things that are coming out, whether it's mentorship, whether it's these different communities. And I think that kind of wave, whatever you're interested in, it can be within mm -hmm. vet med, can be completely different. Like for you, the community is 
with photography, which is really cool. Yeah. And I think just that ability to find whatever it is, whether it's a passion that you want to explore and like-minded people within vet med and you're like, Hey, I want to be a practice owner. I'm going to find other people on the same journey. We can kind of work and grow together. Awesome. Or, Hey, I'm really into mountain biking. I'm going to just make that connection completely outside. So I have that connection that is not all clinically based where your identity is, you know, hundred percent within vet med, because if this was anything you've struggled with, but I think in general, most people in the United States, when you ask what they do, it's always what I do for work, right? And then we all of a sudden mm-hmm. say, oh, well, you're a veterinarian, so you're this type of person. Oh, you're a financial advisor, you're this type of person. Oh, you're a real estate person, you're this type of person, right? So you automatically kind of get put into a, a box of however that person looks at you versus, hey, as an individual, this is what's important to me. This is what I'm interested in. These are the things that make me tick. And yeah, the networking in the community thing to me is huge. And there's always ways to improve that. You've done some work and some photos for various different events and conferences. And I know you have some coming up, which I'd like for you to kind of talk about a little bit. How have those been received by people when you're taking photos at a conference and you're talking to you know people across the spectrum? You have younger veterinarians or you know, younger team members and then kind of the more experienced crowd as well that's coming through. So the first vet conference that I did was when I was working for VCA. And this awesome woman who was sort of the regional manager assistant was hosting a conference. And she's like, Dr. Baylor, I know you take great pictures. Can you come and do headshots for everybody during the happy hour? And I was like, Madeline, that's an awesome idea. Sure. So I drag all my equipment down to this meeting because we're I'm on the East Coast. So we were down, meeting all down in Delaware. And there was a line. I mean, it went down the hall. It was cocktail hour. So people had drinks and they were like having fun and chit-chatting in the line. And I was doing my thing and posing and I was totally stressed out about did the light look good? How is this going? And then all these folks had come in from the corporate and I didn't know who they were, but they're now much higher up in the VCA hierarchy and they still have my headshot. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And so that little bee got put in my hat and uh, I cold emailed Justine Lee and Garrett Prachtner. I can't say his name well from Vet Girl. And I was like, I have an idea for you. And I was like, I really want to be a Vet Girl and do my headshot booth at Vet Girl. And they were like, hmm, this is a really interesting idea. We're a small boutique vet conference. We're trying to create buzz and, and this is a great idea. And then a world pandemic happened. And so we had to reschedule. And then they were like, are you still going to come? I'm like, absolutely. I couldn't wait to be there. So I drove my little clown car full of photography gear from Philadelphia to Chicago. And I did photographs for two and a half days on the conference floor. And I photographed 150 people the first year. And I don't think I had lunch. I didn't go to the bathroom. All I did was take pictures. There was a line down the hall. Like people were like, oh my gosh, I love this. And I got up early. I was there at seven. People were waiting. Like they'd skipped the yoga and they wanted their picture taken. And it was so much fun and so cool. And a lot of the people who I met, they were maybe more mature veterinarians and they had a little action happening under their chin that they didn't like. And they wanted me to do some Photoshop. So I learned how to get better at Photoshop because I really wanted my vet med people to look awesome. And the younger doctors and even a couple of vet students who were volunteering for Vet Girl were like, can you make me look more confident, more less young, because I don't want to look like I just graduated. And so 
we talk a lot when I do these sessions about how confidence comes from the eyes and I want them to have a little something going on in their eyes and approachability or like the idea that you're a good team member and nice to work with comes from your mouth or your smile. And on our faces, we really only have three things we can move, our mouth, our eyes, and our eyebrows, and maybe a little bit with your nose, but that's sort of connected to your mouth. So I talk about all these things when I'm coaching folks so that we get an expression that sends the right message to a potential coworker or a client that vets are good people, but when they're backed up against the wall with an iPhone shoved in their face and bad lighting, you don't end up with a picture that's flattering. So this summer I went to that girl again. It was in Minnesota. Uh, another road trip uh, brought my significant other with me to help. He helped me with all the gear because there's a lot of stuff to drag with me. And then this coming spring in January, I'm going to be in Florida at the VMX in Orlando for five days. And I am going to be doing headshots in the career center. So there's a lot of people looking for jobs and we want to make them look awesome. So it's going to be really cool. That's awesome. I will be in Orlando as well. So oh, cool. I will. Great. I'll see the line in a wave. You, you can see me in <laughs> and <action>. it's <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny that you talk about like you don't want, um, you know, someone that's younger to have confidence and look older or not look like they just graduated. Because, I mean, that's something like I, anyone that looks at the podcast artwork knows I have a beard. And part of the reason I grew a beard was because I have a baby face. Candidly, that was part of it. But the other part, and I think I've told the story before, but it was, I forgot to shave, went up to my in-laws. We were about ready to find out if we were having a boy or a girl. And I was like, if we have a boy, I'm going to grow a beard. And this, so that's kind of stuck. <laughs> and then it became a thing and I've kept it. But yeah, I've like, I've always had like a younger looking face where people are like, oh, I remember someone being like, I paid someone like, oh, you're old enough to have a credit card. I'm like, I graduated college. <laughs> like I have a credit card. I work a full-time job. I was like, what is this? So it's just like one of those things where I can relate with that so much of feeling like, hey, just because like my face looks young, which is a blessing. Like if you grow older and you still have a young mm -hmm. looking face, like that's what people want when they age. It's like, this is what you should yeah. want. But yeah, when you're in your late twenties and you look really, really young, it's, it can be frustrating. So it's interesting how that changes where as we age and we're like, Oh, can you touch this up? Can you change that? But, right. and I love the confidence comes from the eyes. Is that and, and the, something that you learned or is that something that you oh, say yeah. or, okay. No, like these are the things just the same way that financial advisor people talk about what's the market doing and veterinarians talk about like, oh, I had this case today and I vaccinated a cat and I did this. In my photography group, we talk about all these things. We talk about expression, expression coaching. The goal actually is what my mentor calls to create camera invisibility, that the individual is enjoying having their photograph taken and they actually forget that you are pointing a very expensive piece of glass right in their face and that you can kind of because a lot of people are so nervous about having their photo taken they just shut down they just are like oh my gosh and they just stand there like it's the dmv and they're not allowed to do anything and by spending time through posing finding the right angles and lighting can do a lot to make the face look more interesting or younger or older, depending on, on what your goals are, but getting good light in the eyes and then creating a response in that individual so that they're not so freaked out about the whole process creates this connection with the viewer. And it's important for vet med because we have so many clients who 
think it's okay to give our staff a hard time and think it's okay to bash us online because they had an outcome they weren't expecting or a financial burden that they didn't want to pay. And by having good imagery, we're sending for the whole community that we value our employees and that if we are having them have a little bit of a good look in their eye, a little kind of, hey, I got this, I got you, and you're not going to give me a hard time and you're not going to roll me, then maybe some of these episodes will decrease. People are still going to be mean, but we can't control that. But knowing that you feel seen and look good for your photograph is important, I think. That's a double-edged sword because social media can be so powerful, right? Like we wouldn't connect without social media. I wouldn't have connected with lots of people within VetMed. But people like amplify how they treat others negatively a lot of times with social media so much because they don't have any repercussions. Or you don't have to actually look that person in the face and discuss it. But yeah, if you are a local small business, it makes sense that you want to connect with the people there and tell them, A, the story and the, the why, but then also say like, hey, these are the people in the community that also we live here. We shop at the same stores you do. Like we go to the same places you do. Here's who we are, what we're about. And yeah, you want people to feel good about the picture that's used. And I can think of so many different times where people say, take a picture. It could be with your iPhone or whatever. Oh, I don't like that. Don't mm-hmm. post that, right? That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> so it's like, how many times are we using those same photos that someone says, hey, don't post that on your website? It's like, yeah, are they really proud of that? No, no, they're not. So it makes total sense. The other part of it is a lot of folks have pictures where they looked nice, right? So they maybe put on a little makeup or they're wearing a suit with a little bow tie or, you know, they went to a wedding or an event and they kind of spent a little time looking their best. And then they're out with their friends and they feel good and a picture is taken, either a selfie or somebody has their phone out and maybe it's a little bit yellow or red or green because the overhead ambient light looks funny, but their expression is good and they like the expression because they're relaxed and with their friends and or their family or whoever it is that's making them enjoy that moment. And that's why they like those pictures and will use them for their LinkedIn profile or somewhere else for social media or their email signature, because they think it's a good picture of themselves. And it is. But is that a professional business level photo? Maybe not. Maybe it's not sending totally the right message that you want to create. And then the other part of it with the vet med folks is I see this with my camera. What I usually do with my sessions when I'm on location is I have them come in and we talk about the angles of their face and how the light looks and their jaw and all the things. So we get a great just one person photo of how they look. And But they always want to have their pet with them. And I can physically see in my pictures, like, we will take a bunch of pictures and the arc looks good. And we, the final one that we're like, okay, this looks, this looks great. You could be awesome with this one. And then we bring in their cat and their whole demeanor changes because they're holding their cat and they look so much happier because they're holding an animal. And, but then the animals don't always behave. So that kind of creates a second layer to the whole thing where like the cat's like on top of their head or jumping off their shoulder or not looking at the camera but we try really hard because I do think also veterinarians, they're going to look good to the community and to themselves. And they look good in the pictures when they're holding their pets, like that makes them happy. So I do a lot of pet photography as well. And if we have the time when I'm on location, I set up a little second pet photo booth, 
usually for the dogs where we have like a bright colored paper and I throw treats at them and they're like catching the food and jumping around and I bring bubbles that smell like peanut butter or meowy jawama or something and they have lots of fun because again a lot of the vet med professionals don't have professional type photos of their pets and I had a co-worker from years ago email me just this past Halloween and she'd lost her dog last year and she'd had been going through all the different stages of grief and she knew I had taken a really nice photograph of her dog and she emailed me just as and she's like you know I need that picture and I was like I will find that picture I went spelunking in the hard drives to find it and she said she's going to print it out and it means the world to her it's not perfect from a technical standpoint but it was so important to her to have this nice photograph of, to remember her dog so I call that the forever photo yeah I chuckled a little bit when you talked about the cats being like on their head or on their chest or on their shoulders. We did uh, family photos with our three-year-old and seven-month-old. And so trying to wrangle them to both be looking at the camera at the same time, always, always tricky. So (laughs) what part of Florida are you in? So I'm in Indiana. So I I am in Indiana. So I live in central Indiana. So just north of, of Indianapolis. So we were outside when the leaves had just changed. So it was really a perfect time, but we got some decent ones. We got some keepers, but we got some that made us us laugh as well. So, (laughs) Well, and then that's also the fun of the day too, is to have the crazy photos too. And we we kept it short. We're like, we know we have a very narrow window of time where this will turn into less than smiles. So let's try to to keep it there. (laughs) But one thing with photos just in general, I don't know if there's anything on this, but you always hear like, oh, the idea of doing this is worse than going up and giving a public presentation or doing their taxes. Like, is there anything with photos or getting their photo taken in photography that there's any sort of study or saying or rule of thumb that people are like, oh yeah, I'd much rather do X, Y, and Z because you talk about it. Like people are kind of afraid of like, what if it looks bad or I don't like the way it looks? And it's like, well, that's just me, right? Or they fear what they would see from the result of it. Is there anything with that or maybe not? I don't know. I don't know of any studies per se. These are things we talk about, again, in my photography group. We are in such a visual world, right? There's, we're on Zooms all the time and like staring, like staring at ourselves. Everything is documented with a picture and social media and all this stuff. So it creates this narrative where you're kind of judging yourself all the time. And maybe there are things about yourself that you need to accept and say, okay, well, I've got pink lips or someone else has blue lips. Like, you know, everyone's put together a little bit differently. And some people are chasing perpetual youth by the beauty products that they're doing or getting tattoos or piercings or whatever it is that that makes them happy. But there's also this feeling like the camera doesn't lie. Like there was nobody else in front of the camera. Like I pressed the button and you were there. So if you don't like the picture, I can change some things to make it look different. And we can change the posing or the lighting or what expression you have. But at the end of the day, that's you. And I've had a couple of memorable events. There was one lady, we took some photos. And these are high quality digital photos. They are 40 megabytes or something. They're huge photo files. And we like zoom into like every pore in Photoshop. I can look at all sorts of crazy things. And this one lady was looking at it and she was just, she's like, my skin looks terrible. She's like, I've been smoking for 30 years. That is because why my skin looks so bad. She's like, I'm not going to smoke anymore. 
And I saw her at another event and she was like, Dr. Baylor, I did it. I kicked the smoking. And did I make that happen? No, it was probably sitting somewhere in her brain. But seeing that photograph made her change sort of what she was thinking, how she was feeling. And the other thing that I find so fascinating about it all is we're all put together in like different ways. We all come from our people and our family and my eyes are blue. My mom's eyes are blue. Like you could line me up with all my cousins. We all kind of look the same. And I had a lady whose photograph I took and this was during like toward the end of the pandemic and she burst into tears. And I was like, okay, are, are you okay? I gave her a hug. We, and, and she composed herself. She finally could tell me that the photo that I had taken, the eyes looked just like her dad's and she had lost her dad during the pandemic. And it was so important to her to have this. I'm like, you can have the photo. Like, we're not going to use it for your work photo because I don't think it sends the right message. But to her, to see herself or her dad in herself was such a powerful kind of thing. Thank you for that. I'm going to transition a little bit because when we had chatted before we recorded, you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting and actionable for a lot of people. And they might be like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to get photos done right now, but I'm going to just give you kind of two different prompts. You can take it in any direction you want, but telemedicine and lighting and just thinking Mm -hmm. about how that looks and yeah, I guess take it away because you had some interesting thoughts there that that were good. I used to have a long commute. So I was always listening to podcasts, including yours. And sometimes I would listen to CE things and photography things, but I had this idea um, so telemedicine is coming for vet med and, and it's in a way it's already been here. And so I read a lot about it and there are a lot of folks who are less than excited to participate in telemedicine because they don't think they're going to be able to practice good medicine or the state board's not going to like it. And, and that's not the angle I'm looking at it from. I'm looking at it from a connection kind of almost into compliance situation. So if you as the provider of a telemedicine appointment don't have a good setup where you are in a quiet environment, you have good lighting on your face, you have the phone or whatever device you're using to create this appointment at a good angle, you are going to send subliminal messages to the recipient, the client, that this either isn't important to them, they're not important to you, or you look menacing because the light's kind of hitting your face in a weird way. And then if you spend the whole time like staring at yourself on the thing, like what do I look like instead of connecting, because that's the hard part with all these devices and the Zooms is that when you look at the person that you see, that's not actually where the camera is. So if I'm looking at you, but the camera's up here and that's where you make the eye contact. And that's something that's completely lost in a telemedicine appointment versus a face-to-face interaction. The subtle body language, the cues, the social things are gone. And as practitioners, if we're going to be successful with this, we need to figure out good ways in the clinic to connect with the clients so that they can get what they need out of these appointments. And for some people, they can't, they don't have a car, they don't have a means to get to the clinic. If you've ever tried to do an orthopedic evaluation on a cat and watch it walk around, it's not walking in the clinic, it's like slinking under a table. So having a video with a client of like, this is what Fluffy's doing at home. And this is what I notice how it tries to jump up on the counter and it can't. That's invaluable in some ways. But if it's the same type of thing in the exam room, if you can't turn it into the next level, 
it's not going to be a useful way of connecting with clients. So there are all sorts of different products and things that you could do. Some of it from finding like a nice big window with good light. People know what good light looks like versus standing under an overhead that's kind of creates a shadow down your face. It just makes you look disconnected and kind of not friendly. And that is going to make it a harder thing if you're telling someone something they don't want to hear or making recommendations that they're not really connecting with. Having a bad camera angle or bad lighting makes, I think, the situation worse. Yeah. I mean, do you think like getting like a ring light or anything like that that would sit on a desk or sit up on a a laptop would be helpful? Yeah. There are tons of different products and they are in all different price points. I have super fancy lights on my face right now that I use for my photos. And sure, I'm going to hit it out of the park because that's what I do for this. But you could, for under $100, get a very good quality, repeatedly useful ring light that you could set up in your clinic. There's one company I really like. It's called Loom Cube. And they make two, it's for folks who do beauty and tattoo applications, but it's got two different LED arms. And then in the center is a holder for a phone. And they're, what they're doing with it is they're documenting their process of applying eyelashes or doing the tattoo work, whatever it is that they're doing, but they all have little bendable arms. So you can put your phone in the middle of it and then adjust the light for how it looks good on your face and sit there and do telemedicine with the phone in beautiful light. And I think it costs like 90 bucks. It's a great type of a thing. Anything we haven't talked about that I failed to ask that you think is important on your heart, just want to share or talk about? Well, I think I was listening to, I forget if it was a podcast or it was a meeting I was in, and somebody said that they don't like taking pictures when they're doing things because they're trying to be present. And I think that it's important to actually take that picture. If something in your mind said, hey, I should bring out my phone and take a picture, and you know, you don't need to take a picture of every cup of coffee you're ever going to drink or, you know, that kind of stuff. But if you're with friends and family, like at Thanksgiving, because you never know, like life throws curveballs and you never know what's going to happen. And so if there's this little tiny connection in your brain that says, I should take a picture of that, do it. Everyone's got a phone that can take good, decent pictures. And the other thing that I think is important, especially for young parents, is to make sure you back up that phone and those photographs. Because in the blink of an eye, your kids can be going to college and you're going to have to be filling out some form and it's going to say, well, how old was Joey when he learned to walk? And you're going to go, I can't remember. (laughs) And so if you like look through all the photos, maybe you will figure out, oh, it was on March 32nd, you know, like whatever it's going to be like, but backing it up is really important. I can't tell you how many phones have met themselves in a watery grave between a bucket at the horse barn or they fell in the ocean and like you lose all those pictures if they're not backed up to the cloud and things happen. I had a a very dear friend who her house burnt down a couple like last week and like all those photographs, like wedding photographs, wedding, they're, they're just all gone. And so if you don't have some way of keeping them, be it the physical ones or a redundancy somehow, you're not going to get it back. I love the idea of taking the picture if you feel that. I've said probably the same thing that that person said to you either in the podcast or in that meeting about being present and just not being like taking photos. Like I know I've said that a couple of times. So that's interesting. 
so again, I have all these things kind of floating around in my brain and I have a lot of experience. I've gone through this path of burnout and sort of reinventing myself and I have stories to share them and I have different ways that they're going to come out, be it a book or whatever. And while I was at this retreat with my photography friends in September, when I went to Vecra last year, I texted my mentor about something and he called me, which is super rare. This guy's got hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. Like, and he calls me, he's got my phone number. He's like, Azolda, he's like, I need you to do me a favor. So this guy that was in the photography group had had an accident and he was burnt. He's an electrician and he was working for Chicago Transit, got burnt on 40% of his body, nearly died. Mm. And was going through this journey of self-acceptance and photography. And so he was at a meeting of our photography people in Ohio the couple of days before that girl in 2021 in Chicago. And my mentor knew I was driving and he's like, can you give this friend of mine, Rod, a ride back to Chicago? And I was like, sure, I can do that. So I went to the meeting and I hung out with this guy, Rod. He was super nice. And it was my job to drive him back to Chicago. So I'm like driving, like, <laughs> like this is more precious cargo than my kids because Rod had survived this re- just awful accident. He hadn't been away from his family in 18 months since before he had been hurt. And he kept texting his wife, like telling her where we were. So we, we drive to his home in the suburbs of Chicago and his family came out to greet him tears, open arms, just piled on him. It was such a beautiful moment. And I had my phone in my hand and I was like, and I almost didn't take this picture. And I just through the car window, took a picture of the four of them walking back into the house, all holding in arms. And I sent the picture to my friend, Peter, and also back to Rod. And then it turns out that was one of the first pictures of the four of them together since the accident. And so it just meant the world to him. And so when I was in with this meeting with everybody in September, Peter's like, Azolda, come on up here. You got to tell everybody about this picture, why you took this picture. And I was like, oh gosh, public speaking, that's so scary. But I did it. And I stood up in front of my group of 100 people and gave my little spiel about why I took that picture and why it's so important. And you never know, like you see something that inspires you to press the shutter on your phone or if you're carrying around a fancy camera you probably should take it because there's some reason that your eye saw that your brain said hey this is important yeah well i have to apologize because i know i definitely did not say your first name correctly at the beginning so thank you for not oh that's okay um, it's been 53 years of people yeah it i know I, I, <laughs> it's but not yeah, gonna get I, any better <laughs> did we talk about pronunciation of names and stuff earlier i don't know anyways that is yeah. always one of those things. Same thing as like taking photos and being like, oh, is it good? It's like the same way names. It's like, oh, I don't want to mess it up. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, um, it's like a, a, a BuzzFeed, right? You know, like yeah. all the ways you knew that you had a weird name. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. There was no bicycle plate um, that you could go to the store and put on your, your bike. Right. Oh, and uh, there I remember was no, always being, yeah. Yeah. In the seventies and eighties, like that was the start of like all the license plates and keychains with letters and like there was never an I and for Isolda, never, ever. <laughs> but now I have a cricket. I can make my own monogram. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've listened to podcasts before. I'll typically close with like any questions for me, anything that you want to know, 
pose. It can be off the wall. It can be specific to our conversation. It can be anything that's on your mind. So are you going to be at NABSI for just because of the podcast or? I'm going to go just because a, it's a bigger conference. I haven't been, I think it was, would have been 19 last time I went. So it's been a minute, enough people that I'll be able to connect with there that I know and see and have some connections. So yeah, that's it. I actually am going to record probably two podcasts while I'm down there. So I'll find a way to do stuff while I'm there too. But yeah, it's a pretty easy flight from Indy to Florida. So yeah. All flights go to Orlando, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always fun What's, when you're like, oh, they're going to Disney and you can tell. <laughs> yeah. My daughter is a college swimmer. So every year for like seven or eight years, we went to Orlando for spring break for her to be at a swim meet. So I have lots of mileage going back and forth, but I have actually not been in one of the parks in like 20 plus years because we never left the hotel. We went from the pool to the hotel and back and forth. Yeah. And then I had the same, a similar experience in Indianapolis. Like I went to Indy five summers in a row and never went anywhere past the residence in an IUPUI pool. Yep. Yep. Now, does that make you a Colts fan? I grew up in Northeast Indiana. So I've kind of always okay. been more tied to Detroit sports because of my dad. Okay. But um, okay. yeah, I've always been more drawn to college stuff than uh, pro stuff. So yeah. Yeah. But so for people that want to reach out, so I think there's two things. First, if you're a practice owner, I think the first thing to think about is your team and photos and the presence that you have out there. You might have a beautiful website, but like we talked about stock photos or not good photos of your team, something to consider, or just people that want to get to know you, understand your story more, all that, and just kind of network and connect. Cause that's one cool thing just throughout your journey, as far as, you know, when you were, you know, doing ER and GP and those connections, and it's now you get this other community and these other connections and like how that has now kind of crossed back and forth from the old veterinary world into this new world, but then back to veterinary medicine is, is really neat. Where would you have people reach out to connect, learn more? Where would you send them? So uh, my website is images by IBA. That's IBA.com. So images by IBA.com. And I'm active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Both of those are images by IBA. My LinkedIn profile is Isolda Baylor VMD is, you know, my nod to my vet med background. Those who know, know. And the business folks that I network with in my local area don't really know what that means. And that's fine. And I do take pictures. I go on location for financial advisor retreats and real estate agents. Like, I'll have anyone jump in front of my camera. When I go to VMX this summer or spring, I'm doing another road trip. Last year when I went to Florida, I did two hospitals on my way down because I have all the gear. So I might as well take nice mm-hmm. photos while I'm going. And I'm not the only photographer in the country. So if folks are interested in having better quality photographs for their website, I certainly am happy to travel to their hospital, no matter where they are, within reason. But I know people, so I can either connect them with a photographer that I know from my network who would do a good job. And there are lots of photographers. So it's just a question of, are they ready to to make a commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Getting a recommendation or being able to connect with good people to get the end result is always fun. So thank you for the time for sharing and really, really appreciate it. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. (laughs) As I kind of close again, one of the ideas of what I want to do is talk about really good openings for 
opportunities for associates, practice ownership around the country. So there's going to be more of these as they come up. But the two this week are a Central Indiana private practice, so equine or kind of GP companion animal. It is in beautiful Hamilton County, Indiana. It is full-time, base plus bonus. The team is fantastic. They are going to be a uh, AHA accredited hospital. They have six doctors and you will have good flexibility on lots of good things. There is a link to this opportunity in the show notes as well. Again, Central Indiana, beautiful place to raise a family, good affordable cost of living for those that want to buy a house and can't afford it and where they're at, come into Hamilton County. It's a great spot. And then the other one, maybe you uh, are like, well, Indiana weather kind of sucks. I would much rather prefer to be on the beach. So what about a beautiful practice where you can walk to the beach? So Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So Bayside Animal Hospital. It's a currently two and a half doctor, non-corporate small practice, lots of growth and opportunity. It's been around for about 30 years, new ownership back in 2021. So there's a young doctor that's taken over and really excited about, I think, what the future holds. They're growing and definitely want to uh, expand and hire. So with that, If you're interested in that position, I'm going to put in the email in the show notes as well for Bayside, but it's BaysideVet251 at yahoo.com. And I will put in also the phone number. I need to get him to list that somewhere where I can send you a URL to apply, but yeah, check it out. So there also is no weekends there. So I just wanted to throw that out there. There's no weekends at this hospital. It's important that they are going to get out on time is the other thing they mentioned. So with that, thank you so much for listening as always. And I love feedback. So Let me know if there's anything you would like to hear more about or things you want to hear less about. And with that, have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.